This afternoon, we are looking at what Scripture teaches regarding the third commandment as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 36 and 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So Lord's Day 36, what is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. It is a blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That's why he commanded it to be punished with death. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and the New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, a lawful oath is a calling upon God who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul was once a blasphemer. That's what he says of himself in 1 Timothy 1. It's interesting that Paul identifies the time before his conversion in this way. After all, he was a religious man. He tried to follow God's law, including the third commandment. Yet, he was a blasphemer, he says. Why is that? Well, it's probably because he spoke out against the name of Jesus Christ. He hated the name of Christ. And he opposed everyone who worshipped him. But one day, one day, everything changed for the Apostle Paul. Christ showed Paul mercy. Christ showed Paul mercy. Paul was on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute the Christians there. But then Christ stopped him in his tracks and converted him. And after that point, instead of blaspheming the name of Christ, Paul praised him. He praised him. He glorified the name of God. What a, what a glorious change. God worked in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, in Paul, we see a picture of the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. Also in relation to the third commandment about uh, not taking God's name in vain. A blasphemer of God and of Christ is turned into someone who praises God and praises Christ instead. It's a beautiful change. And that's what Christ, that's what God wants in 
each of us as well. This is a change he wants to bring about in our lives. Now, the change Christ works in us might not be as drastic as, as it was in the life of Paul. Maybe it, maybe it is. Maybe it doesn't look as drastic. However, in the very least, surely in our old nature, we do not give God the praise and glory his name deserves. But Christ is at work in us. He's working in us so that more and more we desire to praise God's name in every way. So I summarize the sermon this afternoon as follows. People who once blasphemed God's name are changed by Christ into people who praise his name instead. And we have two uh, points this afternoon. First of all, the root of blasphemy. And second of all, the change Christ gives. Now, when you look at this world, you can see that a lot of blasphemy happens. Uh, the Lord's name is taken in vain all the time. It's sad. Now, when you think about it, this actually seems kind of strange, doesn't it? Here are, here are people who completely disregard God and, and Christ Jesus in their lives, and yet they use his name as a curse. Seems odd. For all, people don't do that with anyone else, with anyone else in the world. No one takes the name of Gandhi and uses that as a curse word. And no one takes the name Muhammad or Allah and misuses that. And, and I mean this in all seriousness, but you just don't hear anyone say, Oh, my Buddha. No, no one does that. And yet with God, with Jesus Christ, it happens all the time. And again, on the surface, that seems strange. However, it's, it's actually one thing that, again, shows the Bible to be true. Scripture says humans have a fallen nature, and in our fallen nature, we have a desire to break God's commandments. That includes the third commandment, where God says, you shall not take my name in vain. There's simply no other explanation for the misuse of God's name in our world. People don't desire to abuse other people's names, but they do with God's name. It shows the Bible is, is right in how it describes the fallenness of humans. Now, why do people have the desire to mis, misuse God's name? What's at the root of it? Of course, we could simply say that people are sinful. And of course, people get into habits, right? Habits on how they use their language. But there's also more to it than that. Here's one thing. In their heart of hearts, people know that there is a God. Even if people claim to be atheists, they know in their heart of hearts, God is there. The Holy Spirit says this through the Apostle Paul in Romans 1. There he says, what can be known about God is plain to people because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So, so what Romans 1 is saying, all creation is telling us that there is a God. 
who created everything. We can see that in the incredible design of nature. And creation is saying God is there and he is powerful, he is wise and majestic and lovely, and he is worthy of your honor and your respect and your worship and your obedience. See, creation is constantly declaring that message. And that message drives the sinful nature crazy. So what do people do with that? Romans 1 says that although people know there is a God like this, they do not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. You see that when people take God's name in vain and and they blaspheme God. With those words, they're subtly showing that they know God is there. Why else would they talk about him so much? But with those same words, they are not honoring him as God. They're suppressing the truth about majestic God. You see, creation declares that God is majestic and worthy of praise. Sinful humans suppress that truth by answering back at creation, no, he isn't. After all, I can use his name as a punchline or a curse or an exclamation mark. The more humans misuse God's name, the more they convince themselves that God isn't worthy of praise. I don't need to honor him or to submit to him. So I don't need to listen to what he says. Now we can go, we can add to this. Romans 1 goes on to list a large number of sins that sinful humans go on to commit. Then it says that people not only know there is, there is a God, but they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. That's what Romans says. Romans 1 says people know in their hearts. They know they deserve to die because of their, their sin. And humans can see that sin brings death. Right? We can see that instinctively. We can see that sin is destructive. You know, just think of stealing. Think of murder, right? We know sin deserves death. So human rebellion against God is the reason why there is sickness and famine and, and disease and natural disasters, and, and you name it. We brought it into this world by our sin. That's one thing we saw from Revelation 16. In Revelation 16, seven angels pour out on the earth the seven bowls of God's wrath. And those judgments of God, they take the form of such things as painful sores, the death of living creatures, scorching heat of the sun, and damaging storms. So those things reveal God's curse upon sin in a sin-filled world. Romans 1 says that humans know God's righteous decree that those who do evil things deserve death, deserve those things. So what do they do? Do they repent? No. Revelation 16 shows us what they often do. They do not repent and give God glory or praise his name. Instead, they curse the name of God. See that in that chapter. They curse the name of God. They're angry at him. 
Those judgments of God upon the earth show that the unbelieving world is, is under God's curse. And as people taste that curse, and they do not say to themselves, oh, yikes, I'm, I'm under God's curse because of my sin, I better repent. No, it says they, they curse the name of God with their mouths instead. You see, blasphemy and a misuse of God's name, it's often anger towards God. People are silently shaking their fist at God. People know in their hearts that God is there. They can see that they should praise Him and honor Him. But they don't want to believe. Instead of acknowledging their own guilt, they curse at God for the curse. And we see this in other places in Scripture. We see, this, we see something of this in someone like Job's wife in Job chapter 2. Job had gone through terrible suffering. He lost his possessions. He lost his children. He lost his health. Now, of course, God was not pouring out his judgment upon Job like those people in Revelation 16. Not at all. But what did Job's wife say in response to his suffering? You know, God let these things happen to you in, in your life, and you're still holding fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Quite the word, she says. She tells Job, curse God and die. It's much like those people from Revelation 16, isn't it? She, she was just full of bitterness in her heart at all the things that happened. So she told her husband, curse God and die. And that can often be at the root of blasphemy and cursing of God, or at the very least, it's at the root of our lack of praise for God. Shaking our fist at, at these things that happen, shaking our fist at God for these things that happen. Beloved, remember what Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 45, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What people say about God and how they use his name reveals what's in their hearts. And that includes you, too. What does blasphemy and talking God, taking God's name in vain reveal? Well, it can reveal anger and bitterness toward God. Maybe a lack of reverence or disrespect. Maybe not seeing his majesty and holiness. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do you speak about the name of God? How do you use his name? Is there respect? Is there reverence? Is there praise? Of course, we fall short every day. By God's grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we will be changed by Christ. Instead of blaspheming God, we will praise him instead. That brings us to our next point. Now, as an example, the change Christ gives, let me point you again to the Apostle Paul. He was once a blasphemer, but Christ showed him mercy. Paul started praising the name of Christ instead. What a change. 
And as you go to work, as you go to college or university, whatever it might be, you will undoubtedly come across people who blaspheme the name of God in Christ, perhaps continually. And what might we be tempted to believe? We might be tempted to believe this person will never become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at how they speak about God. They're just too far gone or something like that. But beloved, we can't know that to be true. You can't know that to be true. The Holy Spirit is God. He is powerful. Look at how he he changed Paul. He can change anyone he wants to. And that same Holy Spirit is at work in us, we who believe in Jesus Christ. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. Maybe we don't curse the name of God, but even if we feel a lack of desire to praise him, Christ can change us. Lord's Day 36 explains this commandment as follows. We must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence so that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. We can all grow in this. Can grow. So how are we changed? Well, the first way we are changed is by coming to a full and complete understanding of our sin. And here's where I want to point you to Paul again. Right at one point in his life, when you know when he was describing his life where he was a blasphemer, at that point in his life, he thought he was he thought he was great. He thought he was righteous. He thought he kept the law, the entire law. And then he was enlightened by the Holy Spirit. What does he confess in 1 Timothy 1? What does he confess now? I am the foremost sinner. I'm the chief of sinners, the worst of the lot. The world's number one sinner is what he's saying. This helped change him. When he realizes, okay, this is who I was. This is who I am in my sinful nature. Well, how, does that, how, how does that help us change when we recognize our own sin, our, our sinful nature? Well, think again of Revelation 16. God poured out his just judgments upon the earth. And many people cursed God because of it. What did they do? They did not understand their sin. They did not understand... They deserved these things from God. What changes when we do acknowledge our sin? Instead of shaking our fist at God, we see and understand that, you know, God were just to send these things upon me. God isn't doing us wrong by these things. I don't need to curse him in my heart. No, he's he's showing his just judgments. It's actually worthy of praise, and you see that in... In the book of Revelation 2, Revelation 15 and 16, people praised him for his just judgments. And by God's grace, we can grow in this regard too. What happens when those things like disease, scorching heat, or natural disasters touch our lives also? 
Well, because of our sinful nature, we might be tempted to shake our fist at God. That can happen. We might be tempted to go there. We might have those thoughts that arose in Job, the wife of Job, in her heart. Right? We might be tempted to act like her. Or in the very least, we might not want to praise God. And true believers, we might struggle in this. We, we, we all might struggle. But by the grace of God, we are enabled to act like Job did. Instead of cursing the name of God, what did he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, in his humility, knowing who he was, knowing who God was, he could still praise the name of the Lord. What a difference to those unbelieving people in Revelation 16 who just cursed the name of God. No, Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, this can be challenging. I'm not here telling you this afternoon that this is, this is just easy. Right? This can be challenging. Maybe this message challenges you right now. And as you read through Job, it's true that Job wasn't perfect in this regard too. We, we see Job's weakness in the book of Job also. He needed to grow at points too. We're weak as well. So pray that Christ will work in you by the Holy Spirit. It's only by God's power that Job was enabled to praise God's name even in the valley of darkness. We can confess when we understand again who we are. You know what? I don't actually deserve anything from God. Anything good from God. God would be just to withhold all goodness from me. Job said to his wife, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil or disaster? That's what Job had in his heart. And that's what was missing from Job's wife's heart. This is why Job could praise the name of the Lord. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, there's, of course, more than that. We can grow in obedience by understanding salvation also. And again, look at Paul in 1 Timothy 1. He was a blasphemer and a persecutor, but he was shown mercy, and the grace of our Lord overflowed to him. Paul now wants to praise God and praise Christ. And that's because Christ Jesus paid for his sin. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom he was the foremost. All of his sins were paid for as a gift, a complete gift of grace. And when he reflects on that, on the grace he has received, You hear him exclaim in verse 17, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see that. 
Paul is keeping the third commandment there to the uttermost, praising the name of the Lord. It's a knowledge of his own sin and then salvation in Christ through grace that brought him there. By God's grace, it will bring us there too. Paul says, grace was shown to me, not just for my own sake. Rather, I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for salvation. He's an example of salvation for us. Even the chief of sinners blasphemed Christ, persecuted him, was shown mercy. Surely that means we can be shown mercy too, no matter what, no matter who you are or what you've done. We receive it as a gift. The blood of Jesus Christ is enough to cover your sin. It's enough. And when we understand our sin and then salvation, what do we understand? You know, those judgments described in Revelation 16, those judgments that should have fallen us, they fell on Christ instead. It's what God has done in the cross. Take, for example, the bowl poured out by the fifth angel in that chapter. When he did it, the kingdom of the beast was thrown into darkness. We could think of the plague of darkness in the book of Exodus. What happened to Christ on the cross? From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, he hung from the cross in darkness. It was a sure sign that God's judgment for our sins was coming upon Christ. That's what Christ has done for you who believe in him. Now we do not need to sit in darkness forever like we deserve. No, Christ took that punishment for us. So that you might live in the light of God's presence forever. And isn't that a reason to praise the name of God and exalt the name of Christ Sure is. It's a reason to praise him in all of our words, in all of our works. Look what, at what Christ has done for you. We can take that same song of the worshipers in Revelation 15. We can take that same song in our lips. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Indeed, people from this nation too will praise God. We will praise God for what he's done for us. There's one last thing. When we understand this salvation, when we understand we can stand in the presence of God through Jesus Christ, we can stand before him confidently through Christ, then we will not shy away from the greatness of God. 
We will not try to suppress the truth about God's greatness. We don't need to suppress the truth about God's greatness because we have Christ. We have his atoning work so we can stand in his presence. Not only that, but because of Christ, we can study what Scripture says about God and his power and holiness and just wrath against sin and not shrink back from him. Instead, we can praise him for these things. Marvel at his greatness, knowing we are in Christ and loved by God. What what effect will that have on us? Well, the more we come to know this God, his greatness, his majesty, his holiness, and even his wrath, well, the more we will shudder when his name is abused and mistreated in this world. The more you know this great God, the more you will shudder when his name is blasphemed. And the more we will also speak about him with respect and love and praise. We will come to praise him in all of our words and our works. Amen.